Welcome, everybody, to this episode of O365A. And on tonight's episode, we're joined by longtime Microsoft MVP, Office Apps and Services MVP, Joanne Klein. Welcome, Joanne. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. So uh, today we're going to talk about retention policies. Um, Joanne, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am. Uh, I, I hail from Western Canada in Re Regina, Saskatchewan. I own my own consulting firm. And I work with customers all in the purview compliance space, primarily in uh, data lifecycle and records management, as well in Microsoft information protection, data loss prevention. Um, so yeah, that's where my experience lies. And uh, I'm a boots on the ground kind of person. So I, I work with uh, my customers trying to make sense of this very complicated world. <laughs> Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks, Joe, uh, Joanne, for coming on. I know uh, you and I chatted at a couple of events yeah. about uh, having you on. So uh, I think, you know, I think to start off, you know, the, I guess our, our session today, maybe we should just level set a little bit around, you know, what is the difference between a retention policy and a retention label and where sort of you would use them? I know uh, we'll have some questions later on, but I think maybe mm -hmm. just level setting for the, for the audience would be good. Great question and something I always have to cover with customers is it's not obvious what the difference is. Um, and uh, the main difference is a retention policy is something that you apply at um, a location level. So a location being an exchange mailbox, a SharePoint site, a Microsoft team, um, uh, a, a, a user's OneDrive, and it applies those retention settings at that level. So everything in the OneDrive has to um, adhere to those retention settings. So kind of big buckets, if you will, of retention settings. Um, and I commonly see that in, um, in, in exchange for sure, if an organization wants to put in just a broad policy to retain, uh, pardon me, automatically delete email after five years, let's say. So that's a retention policy. Um, very different from a retention label that is very specific and really gets down to the item level to apply a retention control. So an item level would be uh, an email within that larger mailbox or a file in your OneDrive or a file that's sitting on your SharePoint site. Um, both can do retention and automatically delete, uh, but very different constructs for applying that retention uh, control. So that's that's the main difference between the two. And so based on where you're applying, is there a difference from a licensing point of view, like E3 versus E5? Uh, what, do, what do organizations need to plan for when they're we're looking to, to apply retention? In the world of data lifecycle management, records management, the main license differences comes into play on how you want to apply the retention label. So um, a, a label, if you recall, I said it can be at an item level. So if we just pick a, a document sitting in a SharePoint site, uh, an end user can manually apply a label and that, that will work just fine with like an E3 license. But if you want to have any kind of um, defaulting of a, re of a retention label, label or automatically applying a retention label based on 
a number of conditions, um, then that is going to require an I'll call it an elevated compliance license. It doesn't have to be fully five. There's a couple of different add-on SKUs that will provide that capability. But um, yeah, pretty much any time where um, you don't want you you aren't relying on the end user to manually make a decision and apply that retention label, you're going to need some kind of an advanced compliance um, license. Um, and then there is. Within the retention label side, um, there's capabilities in there that records managers and compliance officers are really wanting, and that would be um, there's different types of labels, three types actually. Th this is where it gets very detailed and complicated. And so um, a good part of my time with my customers is spent explaining how all of the tech works and what that means from their um, viewpoint. So if if a records manager wants there to be a, some tighter controls around a document, let's say, once a retention label is applied, then that'll lead us into the conversation of maybe you need to have a record retention label on there instead. And it, it, it gives you a little bit more capability, but that requires more of a license. So one of those advanced compliance licenses. So, um, Prior to deciding what kind of license you have, we need to have that conversation about what capabilities do you need, um, and and if you need some of those more advanced features, then you're looking at something like uh, an E5 or one of those um, compliance add-on licenses. Yeah, quick question about that. I don't want to go too uh, too deep in a licensing. Yeah. Of course, that's a that's a big messy area sometimes. Yeah. Um, does E5 does E5 typically give you uh, most of the advanced functionality you're talking about? It, like you mentioned, add-ons for compliance. Is there yes. a lot of them, or just one or two? Um, no, there's a lot of them. I would say just off the top of my head, uh, the ability to declare something, uh, use a record label, requires it. The ability to use a regulatory record label, which is yet another further step on immutability of a record, um, a different type of label, disposition review, which is a huge thing with records managers. And that means going through a review process before something is deleted. Um, this in, in regulated organizations, they simply have to have that review in place. The regulator requires it. Content can't be automatically deleted. That is an E5 feature. Um, Event-based retention, very common uh, when organizations come with their sometimes very large retention schedules. If you look at what is triggering the retention, lots of times it's an event, an event being a fiscal year end or a, at end of calendar year or project completion events. And it the the way Microsoft has built their event-based retention label tech is you, you need an, uh, an advanced compliance license for that. Um, adaptive scopes is another one, which is really an important feature for large organizations, multi-geo organizations, especially when Germany has different retention requirements than Canada, than US very difficult to be able to scale your retention settings across all of those different geos um, in large tenants and unless you have a feature like adaptive scope uh, and i'll maybe explain that a little bit later but 
that's another feature that requires E5. So yeah, a lot of those advanced scalable automation capabilities require that extra license, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And it, just as you mapped it all out, do you find when you engage with a, a, an organization, it's they're, they're equipped to know what they need upfront or is it best to just start and then figure out what you need from in terms of, in terms of capabilities and licensing as you go along? Uh, what it's that's an interesting question. I would say I haven't run the numbers, but just off off the top of my head, I would say eighty percent of my customers have already committed to e five. So they've already gone through this decision making <laughs> process. That could be from Microsoft or or another partner. Um, and they they see that, oh, oh my, we need advanced compliance licensing. We're going to get this. Now, what? Help us implement this tech because buying e5 um and having access to the features is step one and there's of of 50 right so there's lots of things that need to happen after you've got that license um and the remaining 20 percent of my customers are like you said they're trying to figure out the, the value proposition for that advanced compliance license do they need it what are the gaps um how can they fill in those gaps temporarily? Um, is there a third party product that will work for them? So I get all all those kinds of questions as well. But most of my customers, yeah, are, have already made that commitment. And it's maybe a factor of the the area that I'm I'm in and uh, the automation that's really needed in in today's uh, workplace. Yeah, yeah. Um, so speaking of customers, wanted to yeah. tap tap into your wealth of experience and then uh, dive into the scary world of, of demos. Okay. Um, I, I thought I'd queue up the the demo by asking, um, what are the the top scenarios you see for retention policies in organizations? Obviously, it's the retention of data for some reason, but um, maybe right. you could just speak to that, and uh, we could transition into the demo. Sure. <clears throat> um, good question. Uh, lots of different ways I could take this. I think um, a, a couple I'm going to talk about, and that's e-comms, electronic communications. Worked with two fairly large organizations that that is their initial primary focus when it comes to retention. It's not that they don't care about files sitting in OneDrive and SharePoint, but they got to focus somewhere first. So uh, Teams Chats uh, is going to make my, my uh, list. And that is, um, depending on the organization, lots of them feel that Teams chats are a risk to keep them any longer than they possibly have to. Uh, if, a, if a company um, has, you know, it's very litigious, uh, they want to get rid of those chats in, in and the lowest I've seen is 30 days. I've heard that some go even lower than that, but in customers I've worked with, I've not gone lower than 30 days, 60 days, six months, uh, those kinds of things where um, an end user can delete a chat prior to that, but it is, it is absolutely deleted at that 30 day mark um, just for risk mitigation only. So that's, and that would be a retention policy. So you publish a retention policy that in fact doesn't do any kind of retaining at all. All it does is delete and you publish it to everybody's team's chats, all the users in your organization, and uh, it's deleted after 30 days. Very actually simple and quick configuration to do. 
but big end user impact. So the the organizational change management and communication part of that is is way more than the tech to set it up. <laughs> um, so that's that one. And even worse than that, as far as communication would be when you tackle exchange email. People, some people love their email and they have uh, years and years of content in there that they've organized in a you know special way that they can find things and you know it's it's a touchy subject to lots of users but um, i've had three customers now come with very i would call ag aggressive deletion policies for their exchange email simply because if it's there it's discoverable so an e-discovery case comes along and needs to search for some project name or some conversation that happened, if it's in an exchange mailbox, um, it, it's it's discoverable and needs to be produced. So um, having documented policy in place for the regulator uh, and for you know the, the legal team and following that goes a long way in, in removing that obligation to, to produce those results. So I've seen, I'm working with the customer now that will be deleting email older than two years that's very aggressive uh and they're just working on how to they will also have commendations in there and this is a good example for retention policies and retention labels a retention policy published to all exchange mailboxes to delete after two years but we're also going to give you these two or three retention labels that you can slap on a folder put your some stuff in there if you want to keep it longer than that so Having enough lead time to do that, to train users, to prepare them for what's about to happen, because one day, all of a sudden, all their email is going to be gone. Um, again, that's a huge change management and, and communication thing. But those would be the two main use cases I, I see right now. The SharePoint side, it's a bit, it's a bit more of a bear to deal with because there's a very many different kinds of content that's stored across SharePoint sites. So that usually requires quite a bit more upfront planning in my experience anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's what the rest of us have experienced. I've seen? And okay. I've seen, yeah. And, uh, I, I've actually heard of uh, more than one organization having a retention policy for private chats in Microsoft Teams down to one day. Oh my gosh. Yeah, okay. which, those are usually orgs that are like, we want Skype for business, like yes. you said in Teams, where we didn't have conversations living longer. Right. And right. so they're like, we want to delete that, that long mm -hmm. routine history. But I mean, if you think about even just the process on how that actually works, like a day is is very aggressive and it's not yeah. going to be the greatest experience. No. Yeah. I've done 10 yeah, days. I, for a I couple already, oh, okay. Yeah, 10 days on, on Teams chats. and. I'm, I don't know the specific reasons, but they just said we want to delete all personal chats after 10 days. And I mean, they were, this is a global company. They had offices all over the world. And yeah. I think they were trying to follow the lowest common denominator, which was mm. Germany. Germany yes. often will mandate 10 day. And they treated that. They had the same policy for email. They said emails are kept for And I said, really? Like you don't keep things longer than after 10 days are gone? And they said, yep. And I'm like, are you sure? Because this is. Exchange email, 10 days? Oh my gosh, they, they that's a record for me. Yeah, so I was very, um, I didn't, I mean, this was a Teams project, so they just wanted me to touch the, 
the team's part of it. But yeah, right. I, I was asking a lot of questions. I'm like, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is pretty yeah. aggressive. Yes. Um, Are you sharing the biggest question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like the uh, company that hit the headlines where they had a policy that was scoped and they removed the scope and it applied to everyone's chats. <laughs> yeah. Oh. No. Nobody I mean, wants to that, be that consultant. Yeah. No. That that demonstrates. I mean, you can't spend too much time testing this stuff out and and digging in and understanding the details because, uh, I mean, you can really do a lot of damage. Contents getting deleted, and yes, you do have some opportunity to recover from that, but it that that is not a trivial undertaking. I mean, it's plan, 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 and like you said, confirm. Are you sure this is what you want? This is what that actually means. Because sometimes they may be thinking X when it actually means Y. So yeah, wow. So that, that's actually just a good quick follow-on question uh, before we get to the demo. I seem to remember last time I touched retention policies, there is a almost like a what if way to, to run them to see what the impact of the policy is before <laughs> you actually enact it, right? Um. Or am I remembering correctly? <laughs> you might be thinking of uh, um, it, there isn't anything on the retention policy side. Oh, oh, maybe they're it's bringing DL, in DL, maybe it's DLP policy. Yeah, there's a simulation mode when you do an auto labeling <clears throat> policy for sensitivity labels. Mm, so maybe that's it. it they yeah. forced you actually to do a simulation mode um, because similar but but perhaps worse on the sensitivity label side is you could apply encryption to thousands and thousands of documents in error and try backing out of that one easily that's not easy <laughs> but retention label there the product group is working on um and this is not nda they are working on some kind of a way to do a simulation on a retention policy in us in i don't know if it's going to be using the same model but you will have some way to see if I put this retention policy on, what's the net effect of it? How many sites am I going to affect or what's going to get deleted, et cetera. So I, that's really needed because it's it's difficult to know in particularly in a large tenant. And if you're just trying to learn what what is the effect of what I'm about to do? Yeah. yeah. For sure. All right. That's good. Um, I don't know if uh, Joanne, you can flip to a demo and just give uh are your viewers a little taste of retention policy sure. i'm gonna share a demo environment i have set up let's give them a purview yes oh. i'll give a, a, a preview <laughs> of the purview <laughs> okay now just a bit of a setup here this is not a prepared demo i i am um in the microsoft purview center and I'm, I'm going to flip around and show you retention policies and retention labels. So um, I'll just walk through the basic settings and hopefully that kind of hits the mark for what you're looking for. So I'm in purview right now and on the left hand um, navigation, I've highlighted data lifecycle management, which is where you define retention policies and records management where you define where this tenant, I have that E5 license. So I'm seeing these extra capabilities. If you didn't have that, you would not see records management here on the left-hand side. So under data lifecycle management, um, you go to Microsoft 365. This, I just wanna to touch on Exchange Legacy for a minute. I talk to almost every one of my customers to move away from legacy exchange retention policies, um, 
met, met MRM or messaging records management, I think it's called, policies and tags into Microsoft purview retention labels and policies. Um, Microsoft, there's one exception that you have to use Exchange Legacy, and that's to uh, automatically move things to your Exchange Online Archive. Except for that, you you shouldn't be using it any longer. And the the unfortunate thing is, all of the there's several policies and tags that are lit up on every brand new tenant, even today. I the last I checked anyway. So if you go in there and you go into an Exchange mailbox and you go to set a retention policy, you're going to see all of the legacy MRM tags in there. Um, so People configuring this need to know back away from that and let's just move into retention policies and retention labels. Yeah, I so think if I one click... scenario, oh sorry. I was no, just saying go ahead. one scenario I still see using the, the legacy one is actually voicemail messages in Teams. <laughs> so if you have an organization that wants to auto-delete voicemail messages that were recorded from Teams phone system, or yes. you know, and you want to go and rate it like bypass the recycling bin and stuff like that, you'd use the legacy rules. Uh-huh, okay. And so you wouldn't use the purview retention labels uh, because, because so of special the- special message type in the exchange mailbox, yeah. Hmm, okay. I, I, I'd be surprised if you couldn't target that with an auto apply, but, may, but perhaps not. Okay. I might have to talk to you about that one after. So I can so I, I can understand that. OK, so here um, you can see all these tabs along the top. One of them is retention policies. And I probably don't have one in this tenant. No, I don't. So remember, this is the container based uh, retention model. So you give it a name. Naming conventions, really, really important, especially in a large tenant. Um, before long, you can get like up to 100 of these things in large tenants. So having some kind of a naming convention. This is, end users don't see this, it's just the poor admins that are in here working it. So uh, come up with something that, that makes sense for you. Okay, so I will just call this um, Pension Policy X. Describe what it's for. This is the feature I was talking about before adaptive scopes is an advanced compliance feature. It's something you have to have set up before you come in here. You might use an adaptive scope to scope um, only mailboxes in the EU or only um, executive mailboxes. It, you're, you're scoping the, the location, mailboxes in this case, to only a, a select few. But we're not going to do that. We're going to just pick static because I don't have an adaptive setup in here. And you see all of the locations that you can apply a retention policy to, different than the locations you can apply a retention label to. Um, so this is where I could set up a policy for all exchange mailboxes, um, or I can be a little bit more specific and I can say, no, uh, I want it to just work for um, Megan, uh, or maybe the executive team. You can you can you can filter which mailboxes you want this policy to apply to if you want. But I'm going to just going to leave it as all. You can pick all SharePoint sites, OneDrive accounts, Microsoft 365 groups. This is where Microsoft Teams um, document content would be stored. 
uh, as well. Um, if you, uh, I've never used Skype for Business on this, nor have I used Exchange Public Folders. Down here are the different pieces, parts of Teams. So if I want to do that retention policy we were talking about for, let's do a 10-day retention policy on Teams chats. When I click this on, you can see immediately those came off. There's uh, the back-end service that's running for this uh, retention policy does either one or the other of those. I can do Teams channel message, messages and chats together if they happen to have the same retention policy. Remember, this is one policy. So everything that I'm ticking off here has to comply to the same retention policy. So I typically don't see that. What I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna do this against exchange email. And you can do it for Yammer messages as well. Okay, so you get a few options in here. Um, you can retain for a certain period of time. What that means is End users, remember I picked Exchange, so end users can certainly um, add, change, and delete content in their mailbox while this is happening. But the fact that a retention policy is going to be published to them means um, the backend service is preserving them in a hidden location that the end user can't see. Um, so that's how that works. <clears throat> so, Joanne, um, just a question while we're here. Yeah. What happens if a user is um, in multiple policies? Like what happens if they overlap? Good question. Um, that often happens. There can be multiple retention policies published to the same user. And even on some of their content, they can have a retention label. So Microsoft has published, um, and I don't have the link, but uh, if you Google principles of retention, and uh, Microsoft, Microsoft has documented their rules for what happens in that scenario. And there's four distinct rules, go from top to bottom, uh, retention always wins over deletion, longest retention period wins, et cetera, et cetera. And they've even published a flow chart. If you're still, if you've read their rules, because they can be confusing and you're still a little bit confused on what's gonna happen, they published a flow chart and you can basically follow it through from beginning to end to know how long a piece of content is retained and or deleted. That's great, thanks. Uh, so if I pick custom, you can see here, I can go years, months, days. Um, so I'm gonna pump, pump this down to one year. Um, and what are we gonna start the retention period on? So the retention clocks has to start at some time. So it's up to you to define if that's when items were created or last modified. Created last modified makes more sense in the SharePoint and OneDrive world than in the Exchange world, but uh, we're going to say when they were created. Um, and then what do you want to have happen? Well, we want them to be deleted automatically. Um, we could also retain items forever. What that means is everything is retained forever. Anecdotal story, I've worked with several organizations that are fearful of deleting anything and so have put in a policy like this on their all of their exchange mailboxes so they're all retained forever. Well, you can imagine this content is getting preserved, nothing is getting deleted, even if an end user thinks they've deleted it, uh, that can take up a lot of space. So uh, online archives start expanding and it, it introduces a whole nother set of problems. So being able to decide on a retention schema that 
doesn't force you into that let's retain everything forever is is a better place to be than to just tick it to all mailboxes and retain forever. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go back to one year, delete items automatically, um, and click next. The, actually, this option would be you don't care about the retention. You just want to ensure items are deleted after one year. Okay, that's what I would do for Teams chats. But I'm going to say I want these retained and then deleted. Then you get a, a summary page. It's going to give you a little bit of warning down here. Once you turn this on, it, this is a, a valid warning when you're in a live tenant that has legacy content. In this particular case, any email, once the backend service runs, um, any email older than a year will in fact be deleted. So this is where you need to have that communication to end users uh, upfront uh, before you turn this on. But this you, is a demo to make a policy with 10, 10 years, but you made 10 days and <laughs> yeah, there goes the data. <laughs> it happens. And look at that. It's probably because I was clicking back and forth. That is, I'll hit cancel here, but normally that would work. It would say, yes, I'm working. Um, it goes through a pending process. It's a while before it's, um, uh, what's the word, published across all the exchange mailboxes. If you're in a large tenant, that's going to take some time. And then once that's done, the backend service runs for Microsoft Purview um, retention and we'll start deleting emails after it's determined that they are a year old. So that's a retention policy. Um, a retention label can be done in a couple of places. This is license dependent. I can certainly create retention labels on the data lifecycle management side, but um, I, if I'm here and I don't have the license, when I go through the create creation process, I'm not going to have the options that I would have if I have that advanced compliance license. So on this particular tenant, um, they, they this is a demo tenant. It has E5. So I'm actually going to hop over to records management instead because it has a few other options I want to show. There's something called a file plan. A file plan roughly equates to um, an organization's retention schedules. And it's where Microsoft defines all of the retention labels um, in the records management solution. Just gonna, and this is uh, some, some testing I'm doing with the customer. Um, typical, uh, labels you might see in a finance team and that finance team has different content that requires different retention within there so we're just working through this process right now um, you can see i prefixed all my labels with test uh, with the idea that i'm going to delete them when i'm done uh, i want to separate them from the real production labels if this was a, a production tenant uh, for that purposes so they can see what the testing that I'm doing. Um, from here you can see there's a bunch of information on each retention label. Um, uh, so I'm going to maybe go through and create a label first and then I'll come back to this. So you enter a name really important to come up with the naming standard. There's limitations on characters that you can have in this, like you can't have ampersand, which is a very common one I see in retention schedules. Um, there's a length and I don't know what the length is, but there's 
well-documented limits on all of these things. And what makes this more challenging is once you create the retention label name, it is there forever, cannot be changed. So have a plan, really think this out before, <laughs> before you put this in here. So I'll call this demo label A. This description for users will show for them when they hover over the retention label, super important. Pull an end user friendly description from the retention schedule. Um, so get your compliance uh, professionals to work on that. And this is just for your purposes. I'll leave that. This is a way of organizing all of your retention schedules. Um, important when you have large retention schedules, which I've seen some really big ones, to be able to categorize uh, your different retention labels by department or category, subcategory, et cetera. Um, and most retention schedules will have some kind of authority type or provision that you can link to the external regulation that this uh, applies to. I'm not going to do this here, but this is a, um, a great way for you to organize. So this might be for finance etc. Um, so organize your labels using these uh, descriptors. This isn't available if you have an E3. Um, so you have some options here. Um, retain items forever um, or for a specific period. So let's imagine uh, we're doing a label for um, contracts and we want to retain for um, seven years past contract end date. So I probably would pick that one and seven years. Um, and I, you can see I have more options here versus what I had on the retention policy side. Um, I can start the retention once the label has been applied to the item, which I see a lot in um, some controlled environments where they're controlling when the label is, is applied. Um, you can have some events. Here's fiscal quarter end. So this is the finance team. Perhaps some of the finance teams work um, on, you know, fiscal quarters and fiscal months, quarters and years typically, and the retention is often aligned with that structure. So you can have a uh, retention label that is tied in with the fiscal quarter end. That's when the retention would start. So that's uh, an option. There's a little bit more back end configuration required for that. So I'm just going to make this one seven years when items were labeled. And what do I want to do while that um, during the retention period during that seven years? If I have this box ticked, um, end users in in if I'm publishing this label to SharePoint can in fact delete a label, uh, delete a record uh, document that has a label applied to it. If uh, if I don't want that, then there is another setting I can do. Or here is that advanced compliance feature. I want to mark items as a record. So once this label is applied to the document, then um, there's some restrictions that come on that document. Okay. Again, lots of planning needs to go into this. You need to demo, and I, I always demo different examples of these different types of retention labels, what that means for the end user, because this is big end user impacting decisions you're making on um especially this one, unlock this record by default. If you don't have this ticked, which is the default, anything that has a record label applied to it will be locked. So an end user has to know 
to open up the detail pane, unlock the record, and then open up the document and change it. End users probably aren't going to want, aren't going to natively know that. So you, that's going to have to be a training thing. Alternatively, you can say, no, we're just going to unlock it by default. We're going to let them do their changes on there. When all the changes are done, then they can go unlock it. So it's a decision to be made um, as well. So I'll just mark items as a record. Then what happens after the retention period? So there's so many decisions that need to be made here. This is where um, they can be automatically deleted, just like on the retention policy side. You can start a disposition review. Records managers like this one for some of those more regulated uh, uh, organizations, and you can have multiple stages of disposition review, in fact, up to five. Um, so I'm going to add a stage, maybe I want, and a good tip here is number your stages because these stages can't be renamed after the fact. And maybe you want to have the records managers do the initial review and then the um, finance team to do the second review. If you ever wanna switch the order of that, then your names can't be changed. So I like to stick with, but who's a member of the stage can change. So I like to pick, generic names for this that I can just add. Uh, I'm going to pick Megan in this case, but I'd probably add maybe the she's the records manager and then I'm going to add stage two. And this would be the finance team and that'll be Adele. OK, so this, of course, can be a group, which would be a better way of doing it. Um, and then they will get notified when the items are up for a review. Um, lots of new options that Microsoft has implemented. Uh, you can chain, change the label, so you can daisy chain retention labels together. Um, so I've seen some organizations have active and semi-active retention. That's how you could do that. Uh, you could run a Power Automate flow, which means you can get pretty custom on this. This is a per document flow that's running. So. Think about that, the number of documents that are going to be going through this process. Um, so you build, going on. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, or you can deactive retention settings. So I'm just going to start a disposition review. You get a re, uh, summary page and then you create your label and hopefully this one will work. So when you create a label, a label on its own really doesn't do anything. It's just a, a definition, a stub, if you will. You need to publish it to a location so end users can see it. That's what this is prompting me to do. I won't do it right now because this takes a little bit of time, but I can publish it to all of my SharePoint sites if I want or a select few. Um, I have all kinds of options on here. I can also with the right advanced license, auto apply it. So maybe there's metadata on this document that's going to automatically put that retention label on it or a certain file type. And this is where I was going with that, those recorded videos. If they're a distinct file type that's stored in Exchange, perhaps you could do an auto apply condition that automatically applies a label based on that file type. But I, I'm not sure if that would work in your case, but. Um, so these are the options you can do. Right now, I'm just going to click the do nothing. Um, and it's going to be added to this list. Uh, you can see it's inactive, demo level A, because I haven't published it anywhere. All of these other ones I've published to um, sites. And yeah, so any 
Any comments about that? Did I miss something? No, this is fantastic. And it's it's a really good overview of just the difference between the, the policies and the labels and what both do and all the different options. So I, I think that was fantastic. Okay, right on. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was great, uh, Joanne. I, I think Dino had a had a question. Yeah, so I just this is this is great. I, I wanted to kind of shift gears a little bit and yeah, you know in terms of discussing how you approach all these topics with um, with a customer. So, so for example, I mean, from my perspective, I spent a lot of time just helping teams related uh, customers and projects with respect to teams. So many of the projects I'm, I'm given to work on, um, the customer, you know, goes into agreement with signs of SAO and they want to just look at team specific governance settings. And I, okay. I think that that's problematic, um, and, mm -hmm. and I was hoping we could talk a little bit about why you might think the same. And I, yeah. I'm hoping you also think it's problematic because you know yeah. I think that they're looking, they're doing something like yeah. this, and perhaps they should be looking at a more holistic approach. So maybe maybe you can dive into um, to that, yeah. and, and how you might approach this in the right way, probably to do this uh, versus what a lot of uh, customers seem to want to do. It's that's an extremely important point you brought up, and I, I am in complete agreement with you. The way Microsoft has built these governance solutions in micro, in purview is it's, it's a unified approach. So you're not just looking at OneDrive or Exchange or Teams or SharePoint um, because regulations apply to all of those content repositories, not just one of them. Um, you might pick one to start with, but you should be approaching it from a broader vision and 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 strategy. Um, so I am customers typically come to me with in one of three areas. One is help us build a strategy for implementing whatever data lifecycle and records management or Microsoft information protection, let's say, or um, maybe they already have the strategy or or they haven't spent the time doing that and they just want to know, tell us how to implement records management, um, which, which is very problematic because you need to have the bigger picture. And the other one is just, you know, show us how this stuff works and we'll we'll kind of figure out how to how to put it together. So what I did um, and, and that's very hard to explain to a customer that that isn't familiar with purview and, and everything that it can do in their defense. You know, they are coming at you with the problem is, you know, our team's chats are out of control. How can we control this? Um, so um, I have put together a couple of mind maps to help steer the conversation and we kind of pick and choose on those mind maps on how the conversation goes but at the very least it frames the conversation and starts the customer thinking about oh my goodness we need to be framing this conversation and thinking about this um, in a little bit broader perspective i'm going to share this with you All right, so this is um, just one example of my data lifecycle management and records management strategy mind map. Um, I follow industry best practices on this, so I'm not reinventing any wheel in the information governance space. That's why I have this uh, ARMA is a, a technology agnostic 
compliance um, association uh, for giving information governance best practices to the industry. So the my approach basically, and Microsoft's to be honest, follow, follows this same approach. You need to consider all of these things in your strategy. And I kind of break it down and these all expand into different things you need to be thinking about. Roles and responsibilities on um, data lifecycle and records management. The internal roles, who's going to do these things? What are the RBAC per permissions in the back end? Um, is IT going to do it or are they going to relinquish some of that control and have those compliance teams do it? Um, how are you going to deal with external auditors? Uh, you know, you got to think, be thinking about all of those things. What are those external auditors going to want? Um, and of course, the authorities would be the regulations, the laws, the bylaws, privacy, all of those things. Um, typically, those teams come to the table, uh, legal, privacy, risk, uh, records management. And, you know, I try to learn about their world. At the very least, they need they need to understand what their obligations are there. The supporting framework, so they'll have an information classification document, uh, their own retention schedule, sometimes multiple ones, um, policies. They have all of those kinds of things. And then it gets down, only then does it get into the tech, okay? So the Microsoft 365 approach, um, this is where locations comes into play. So your sanctioned apps, you can see there. Microsoft Teams is one of them. What about SharePoint? What about Yammer? What about Exchange? I don't have share. Uh, oh yeah, that's, I guess all of them. Um, and um, may maybe you don't use Teams or, or what are you planning on including in your overall data governance strategy? Really important to think about. Um, Microsoft 365 governance. What is the life cycle for a site and a team at your organization? Have you even defined that? Or can can anybody delete a team? What if it has business records stored in there? Um, most organizations I work with, probably different than yours because they're not coming to me for teams specifically, but most of them have never even thought about the life cycle of a team. Um, so uh, how do you deal with, I call them joiners, leavers, and movers as people move to different groups and teams, um, what what does that mean if you have some of these retention things auto-applying content for them? I mean, it 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 can matter a great deal. Um, and then this last one talks about uh, dig digitizing, whoops, uh, digitizing paper-based processes. Yeah. I just did something there. Okay. Um, dependencies. This is a huge one, particularly in... Um, SharePoint is, uh, uh, yeah, SharePoint is your site and information architecture. That's why I said SharePoint is a, is a bit bigger beast sometimes than Exchange, uh, just because of the myriad of SharePoint sites that organizations have. Um, you have a dependency in Azure AD, definitely for some of these controls in the back end for adaptive scopes. You need to have a very well-governed Azure AD uh, environment for user attributes and group attributes in order to be able to use them in an adaptive scope. Uh, if you're gonna use Power Automate, you need to have somebody in the organization that knows what they're doing in there so they can build a robust enterprise scale 
flow for working with these kinds of things. Um, search, so lots of tech dependencies in the back end. Um, and then eventually you can get into a blue, uh, blueprint or a roadmap, um, defining your scope, uh, what's in scope, what's out of scope. That's where maybe you're gonna, maybe, maybe then at this point, okay, we're gonna start with Teams. That conversation makes sense after you've kind of covered all of this other um, content and they have a, a, a bigger plan. Um, so I got here, define approach. Um, what's your, are you gonna have a PLC? So you can see the a proof of concept to see the technology up front. Uh, are you gonna, are you gonna pilot? What's your representative group for the pilot? Is it gonna be the finance team? Is it gonna be executives? Is it gonna be IT? I mean, how are you gonna lay that out? Um, and then the last one down here, operationalizing it. This is a huge one. You, I showed you disposition reviews. That That is a lot of work that um, was done in a different way in the paper-based world. Now, every single document is coming into that disposition review. So it can be a big time commitment for companies uh, to, to take on that role. So, um, you know, reporting, all of those kinds of things are on the operationalizing piece. So this is why I like to show the mind map to help kind of steer the conversation. And, and lots of times, um, you know, other kind of approaches, they, they end up backing up a little bit and, and reassessing their approach sometimes. Uh, so I, I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have. Yeah, I mean, I think organizations probably greatly underestimate the effort. Yeah, <laughs> especially just stepping through at a high level at some of these yeah. tiers. Yeah, I agree. I love when I see projects that'll be like, you know, eight out, eight the scope, eight hours discuss governance, and yeah. um, <laughs> okay, I think you're. I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm always trying not to. I'm trying to simplify it as much as it can be, but there's only so far you can simplify it. Right. But yeah, like I you know, try not to scare anyone away, but you need to address these things. Either either say, yeah, that's out of scope. Uh, we acknowledge right. it, it's out of scope or, or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that was really cool. Yeah. All right, well, that was fantastic, Joanne. I mean, this area of compliance and data governance is huge, as you know, yeah, and uh, Microsoft 365 is no no different. So yeah. uh, this is a, this is a bit longer than we usually go, but it's impressive. Oh. We covered an, an intro, we covered the scenarios, licensing, did a demo and actually showed how to set it up. And we also covered how to approach uh, organizations in terms mm. of setting it all up. So that was fantastic. Mm. That was really good. So thank you very much yeah. for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's fun. I love to hear right. your stories. Bye, everyone. Right. Awesome. See you. Thank you.